0: So since um, the beginning of the new year and on until we get into Lent, we've been uh, using some of the lectionary passages that, that kind of help us um, read together with uh, a lot of different Christians and different kinds of Christians uh, all over the world. Uh, and so uh, last week, um, Matt uh, helped us um, explore the, the passage earlier in, in Mark 1, where uh we get to see the, the wild, bearded uh, character, of uh, John the Baptist, uh, calling people to repentance and then baptizing Jesus. A, and we talked a lot about repentance and, and what that means and, and how it, it means to turn. And, and, and there's kind of an evaluative process in there of figuring out where you've been headed, where your steps have been pointing the whole time, um, and then where you're, where you're going towards. I'd say we'll continue in mark 1 uh, with kind of the beginning of Jesus's uh, public ministry in Galilee and and for some reason the lectionary skips sometimes it'll skip little parts and it it's it skips the uh, temptation in the desert which I'd love to preach on sometime and eventually will happen but we pick up with Jesus entering Galilee um, and and proclaiming a few things um, and then um, and, and kind of Mark's style—it's really abrupt. And it, if you read it in the in, in in the Greek, there's like, it's it's almost like one long run-on sentence. It's and this and this and this, and, this, and then immediately this happened, and then, and then and then and then and then and like Mark can't write fast enough to talk about Jesus's ministry. So today we 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 kind of peer into the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and beginnings are important uh, in this beginning of Jesus' ministry, he he issues a call. And and I want to do a little exercise before we get into it, kind of an imagination exercise to get us primed here. So imagine with me uh, a couple things. Imagine imagine you grew up just a couple streets from here in in an apartment complex and and your dad left. You you never knew your dad. You, you, You know your dad only by Stories about your dad, and some probably better than he deserved, and some much worse. Your mom's been filling in for your dad, though. She's been pulling his weight. She she took on a few more hours cleaning houses, and that's going to help. And she's thinking about doing some night classes at Durham Tech. She's doing the best she can. Um, you're doing the best you can. And when when it comes down to it, though, you guys are just. We talked about snow days earlier today. You're, you're just a couple snow days from, from missing a rent check or missing a meal. Next year is going to be your junior year in high school over at Jordan High School. And aside from thinking a lot about girls <laughs> and getting by in class, there's kind of two things on your mind, two calls, two options, two invitations. First, your coach says, come follow me. His call... You know, it comes with a family. It's kind of built into it. And this family are teammates. And they're looking for the same things as you. They're, they're kind of, their lives are, in a lot of ways, exactly like yours. You're all pulling together. You're doing the same amount of work. And, and you're in most of the same classes. His call might uh, lead to a scholarship. It, it would be the first time anyone in your family has gone away to college. His call might mean a little bit of fame or notoriety, a a way out, maybe even a payday for your mom. Coach's call sounds pretty good, but it's kind of a lottery, right? (laughs) It might work, it might not work, and scratching off lotto tickets isn't really going to help things right now. So then, there's another call, and this other call comes from your buddy's older brother. He's also saying, come, follow me. And let's call him a certain type of businessman. He's well known. He's well feared. And his call would also provide a, a different kind of family. You get this whole kind of different respect and belonging. And, and for once, you might even have a few dollars in your pocket. You know, people might pay attention to you. People might fear you. Some, eventually, some younger guys might even follow you. That's one scenario. Now imagine with me another scenario here. You grew up outside of Charlotte and and you got into the only three colleges that you applied to. You decided that UNC would probably be the best fit rather than going up north because it's close to home, but it's it's not too close to home. And, and they had some of the sororities that you wanted to pledge. You love your classes, especially the ones dealing with kind of local government policies. Political science has it has kind of sparked something inside of you. You made some great contacts at local relief agencies and in in doing some some job training and in working on interview skills with people that need to get jobs. And by the end of school, um, you you like this, but but kind of your attention has really shifted and it's shifted towards trying to find a guy. <laughs> you, you've you've kind of changed your focus from your your bachelor's program to what they like to call the the MRS program. But despite your school being 60% female, you got your man. In the summer after your graduation and honeymoon, you're faced with two calls. The mentor at your internship says, come, follow me. I have plenty of work for you. But the pay comes via grants, and that's pretty low, that's pretty unstable. The nonprofit needs you and you can help make a difference with some folks by helping to open some doors for them, helping them open their own doors. Down this road is passion, your passion, your training, an ability to use your gifts for others. Who knows whether that grant money will dry up or what it might look like to continue to follow this room. This way seems kind of risky. Then the other call is from your mother-in-law who says, come, follow me. We'd love for you to be close to the family. You can take a job at our church and all the while hinting that the real motive is that your husband's family really wants to start a family sooner than later. She wants grandbabies. You'd hate to disappoint your in-laws. You've always talked about starting a family and making a home. They live in a good school district. Life is pretty lovely, and that's pretty easy To imagine. These these calls aren't too hard to imagine for us, right? Even in our really different lives. Before we we read the passage of Jesus' calling, I I just kind of ask you to to stay in this mode. Kind of be thinking of what kind of calls you've had on your life. Who's calling you? What's calling you? What calls have you answered? And what... um, things and people and, and ideas of the good life have you followed? What are those pivotal moments where you've heard different voices and if you're in one of those, what kind of calls are you hearing right now? What kind of decisions have you made or are you making based on scarcity or fear, or failure, and fear of the unknown? What, what kind of paths are you taking that you don't really want to take? Today we'll explore Mark's record of that beginning of Jesus' ministry. Following his baptism by John the baptizer, and his time of testing in the desert, Jesus starts his ministry with a call. So I I want um, Holly to come up and and read our, our passage from Mark 1, verses 14 through 20. You can use that one, actually. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Of all the calls that we're always hearing and responding to in our lives, Jesus issues a call uh, to each and every one of us. And it's a call to to follow him. A call to follow him as he seeks to restore all things. It's a call to become his disciple, his uh, apprentice, someone whose life becomes so intertwined with his that you start to look like him. See like him and think like him and act like him. That you start to love what he loves and imagine healing and wholeness for every broken thing that he encounters. Jesus' call is to come and to die to your old ways of looking at things. And these are, could be old crutches that you've learned to lean on that you don't know how to even stand without. Or they could be your greatest strengths in exchange for a new life, an abundant life, eternal life that starts now. Jesus' call is an all-encompassing call. It draws in your past and it consumes your present and it guides your future. The beginning of this passage says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus begins by proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel, good news. It's interesting to note, Jesus didn't even talk about himself here yet. Later on, after Easter, in Paul's letters and in Acts, the good news later is always, always becomes known as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. But right now, it's the good news of God. In Jesus, the content of the good news gets demonstrated and expanded and clarified and textured and incarnated. We get to see the good news of God in flesh and and blood. Jesus also, he speaks with authority, but he also appeals to authority not his own. He announces that God has some good news for anyone within earshot. Afterwards, the church's mission will be to preach the good news of Jesus. In this scene and throughout the gospel stories, Jesus' ministry shows the church exactly what her ministry is to be like. If we remember from um, a couple months ago when we talked about Isaiah 61, and it's also Jesus' kind of mission statement in Luke 4, this gospel, this gospel preaching, this ministry and this mission looks like Uh, what comes out of Jesus' mouth here, what he's alluding to in Isaiah when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim jubilee, the year of the Lord's good favor. This is Jesus' calling. Which means it's each and every one who follows Jesus' calling. When you follow someone, you do what they do. You go where they go. And then, if we keep going in in this passage in Mark, we we learn that, that Jesus' call often has kind of three components to it. This is kind of what marks Jesus' call off from just any old call. The first kind of component of this call is urgency. Jesus' call is marked by urgency. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It has an urgency to it. The time has come. All of the expectation has now hit a fever pitch. And God is acting. God is in the mix. As one Theologian says God is acting completely unexpectedly exactly as he always said he would. (laughs) Completely unexpectedly as he always said he would. The rescue operation is afoot. And heaven and earth are now intersecting in Jesus. God's kingdom is dominion. Everywhere he rules and holds sway is now coming into focus. This urgency comes from... Now having to reckon with all of those faulty assumptions that we've made about who God is and how God is, how that kingdom's going to come. Most of the, the people that Jesus was around thought God's kingdom would come by violence, right? Now we would really show our oppressors who's boss. That's why in the garden when, when Peter um, hacks a guy's ear off, Jesus says, put that away and heals his ear because then he's showing what? God's kingdom coming looks like. And later he would show us on the cross. When Jesus calls, we put away all of our preconceived notions about what salvation looks like or who's in. What kinds of manipulation or posturing or violence we have to wield to save ourselves. We don't have to do that anymore. The kingdom of God is near. And when the kingdom of God is near, the only appropriate response is like John the baptizer said, to repent, to lay down even our best laid plans, our best ideas about what God's doing, how the Spirit's surprising us, and and where this is all headed. We lay down our plans because, because when Jesus breaks in God's kingdom among us, we get to see the new creation springing up and we get to anticipate that new Jerusalem coming down, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven so we're to turn from our ways but the Lord doesn't just ask us to keep turning like we're, we're not just on a, on a track we don't spin into the ground or dizzy ourselves no he gives us our bearings he says repent and believe the good news he says trust have faith believe and sometimes that's the hardest thing to do It's the hardest thing um, to to give our allegiance. It's the hardest thing to trade in kind of our version of the good news that's not so good at all for for what God might have in store because that kind of scares us. We lose control. It's no longer our good news that we're attached to. And the calling turns into a summons to participate in rebuilding, restoration, renewal of all things know, an exercise of, you know, that's the, that's the true content of that good news, is to participate in that restoration. The way we kind of distort it is we turn that good news into an okay news, an exercise of keeping things stable, predictable, harmless. You know, we, our version of being peacemakers is just to keep the peace. <laughs> But God's kingdom coming near in Christ, his calling for us to join has an urgency. It's got an intensity that just won't let us settle. He won't let us rewrite this revolutionary good news that Jesus wants to save us, forgive us from our sins, and include us in remaking the world. He won't let us just turn that into something about us. He won't let us just turn that only into something about where we're going to go when we die or how we need to behave well when jesus inaugurated his kingdom that already here but not all the way here kingdom the rule of the father he calls us to stop everything and do an about face so that we can evaluate who we're following and which way we're headed jesus call has an urgency it's also Uh, I think Jesus' call often for us is is characterized by an interruption. Doesn't that sound rude that Jesus would interrupt us? That Jesus would interrupt Peter and his brother? He says, Come, follow me. Jesus' call interrupts us. Those simple words, Come, follow me, rang out to the fishermen. Just picture that. You know, Mark, doesn't really mince words. cuts right to the story. But just picture Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. It's also called um, Gennesaret. And he calls out to a couple kind of blue-collar guys, uneducated, we can assume, guys. They smell bad, most likely. They smell like fish and sweat. He says, drop everything. Let's go. And they do. That's the marvel of the stories. They do. I don't know that I would. Dallas Willard, Willard describes this moment for Simon and Andrew and for us. He says, This is a call for us to reconsider how we've been approaching our life in light of the fact that we now, in the presence of Jesus, have the option of living within the surrounding movements of God's eternal purposes. Of taking our life into his life, taking our life into his life. Their lives, their jobs, their entire approach to life, to being, their identities are interrupted. As Jesus is not only with them, but invites and includes them in preaching the good news that the kingdom has come near. Perhaps that's one of the best habits that we can get into if we want to encounter Jesus more often. Being interruptible, right? That's like the exact thing that we try to avoid. That's like what all the um, time managers tell you not to do is be focused, don't be interruptible. But being willing and able for Jesus to walk into what we're doing, even if we're on task, even if we're doing our job and making a living or we're being responsible, whether we love what we're doing or not, maybe that's our primary test is to allow God to enter into what we're doing, to put aside what we're doing. I'm learning this, and I, I have to confess that I'm not consistently thrilled with this happening. I, I You know, if you're a Wesleyan, they say, I haven't. Yet grown in holiness to that effect i I, I do enjoy being distracted though, but I want to control my own distraction right like i want I want to dictate the terms of when I'm going to like look up a song or check Instagram or whatever but it, it in in my recent experience it's been the interruptions, not the ones of my own doing that God has surprised me that he's Formed relationships and sparked opportunities to know and love a neighbor or a stranger. So, like, I work next door in in an office over there, and and if you brought kids over there, you know there's a bell, there there's like a buzzer and a doorbell, and they're both really annoying. And and it's without fail, it's when I'm like most like like in a flow that. The buzzer will ring, and then the doorbell will go off, and uh, and it's I'm always tempted to just ignore them and like hole up and pretend like they don't see my car outside, uh, you know, uh, but when I answer, I, it, almost every time, it, like it is bizarre how how high of a percentage of those times when I'm just surprised by um, who's on the other end of that bell and um, what what they have to tell me. Um, sometimes what they need uh, more often than not, how they're um, showing me something about Jesus. Um, if, 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 if we can understand that the Lord uses interruptions, maybe even primarily to get our attention to, to speak to us, um, maybe we'd change some things about our lives. Kids are really good for this too, side note. <laughs> In the Galilee story, though, one of the characters, Simon, and he's later known to us as Peter, uh, he finds uh, these calls, these interruptions. They they actually wind up framing his whole life with Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, whose own life was interrupted by Christ's call uh, several times in his academic career, in the middle of a, he was like the young gun um, German theologian. And then he decided to interrupt his academic career by going to Harlem to spend time um, in black churches. Uh, and, and that t- did a real number on how he pictured his calling and, and who um, he sought to worship after. His, his call was also interrupted by later forming a grassroots seminary in the middle of Nazi Germany, or eventually like um, preaching in a prison camp. Um, and his call was, his life was certainly interrupted by his, his death. But uh, Bonhoeffer talks about Peter's calls, and I'll quote it at length. He says, On two separate occasions, Peter received the call, follow me. It was the first and last words Jesus spoke to Peter in Mark 1 and then in John 21. A whole life lies between those two calls. The first occasion was by the lake of Gennesaret, when Peter left his nets and his craft and followed Jesus at his word. The second was when the risen Lord finds him back again at his old trade, once again by the lake of Gennesaret, and once again the call is, follow me. Between those two calls lay a whole life of discipleship and the following of Christ. Halfway between them comes Peter's confession when he acknowledges Jesus as the Christ of God. Maybe it's in our in our ability to be interrupted that we'll actually come to know and recognize Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. So God calls, Jesus calls, often with interruptions. And third thing is, um, Jesus's call is is often a, a transfiguration, um, and that, that sounds like a really fancy word that we probably none of us know really how to define, myself included, but. When Jesus says to them, "I will send you out to fish for people," that's that's a really quirky and surprising thing to say to someone. What does that even mean? You know, it, we can imagine kind of a, a comic book representation of that. That would be really bizarre and interesting and jarring. Um, but I think the fact that Jesus' call deals with our with transfiguration, it, it really deals with our imaginations, our faithfulness. Maybe one of the most Difficult things for us sometimes, especially many of us who are really serious about following Jesus, is the fact that um, when we start to follow Jesus, it seems like nothing much really changes. We will get disillusioned or jaded. Perhaps we get disappointed with ourselves. Or worse, we get disappointed with God. when It doesn't feel like this call is big enough or sexy enough or risky enough. Shouldn't we be raising people from the dead or like smuggling Bibles into a closed country or recreating some of the scenes from Selma when we experience um, injustice around us? Shouldn't we be doing that sort of thing? Shouldn't that call sound like that? And then there's others of us who hear the call and and um, take the tact that is described by Amy Sherman um, who, she's a writer who wrote a really good book called Kingdom Calling that I would recommend. And, and she writes a lot about work and vocation, how to, how to take your call into your job. I think a lot of us uh, do that. We view our work as Christians and, and with a focus on the three E's, she says, ethics, evangelism, and excellence. Ethics, you know, be a good person, people will notice. Evangelism, Tell others about Jesus in excellence. Do good work. For the record, I am not against any of these things. <laughs> they're actually really awesome. But don't they seem like something's missing? Like, like they're just kind of like, you know, clues to being a good worker with a little bit of Jesus added into it? I think the first impulse to, to be radical, uh, Jesus... Again, he his calling transfigures. He doesn't completely change, though there is movement. They they do leave their nets, but he takes what they are, fishermen, and he makes them fishers of men. It's this this odd little this odd little quarter turn. It's a little twist on what they are and what they know. It's a subtle transformation that means everything. He takes he takes the fishermen and he doesn't turn them right away into prophets or evangelists or healers or pastors, but just Fishers of men their entire objective has changed but their skill set is still appealed to I wondered in each in every one of our jobs what like the analog would be for this right now they're they're not trafficking now in live bait and nets and scales but in something infinitely more kind of imaginative exciting and real God's kingdom and then the the second set of people that that are kind of Stable. Um, Jesus kind of messes with that. Again, he interrupts and and he sends. They drop their nets and he goes. He creates movement. The call is is a transfigured call. It's, It's a call for change, but it's a subtle change. It's complete, but it's subtle. The fact that the kingdom is at hand changes things. The kingdom is at arm's reach. So if we, let, if, if we let this stuff kind of start to work on our imaginations, maybe we can connect the dots between where we are now and, and, and what it would mean like to be a, a blank of men, <laughs> a, a fisher of men in, in our own trades. Maybe we can start to connect the dots between where we are now and a new Jerusalem that will come down when God's reign is complete. Like, that, that's kind of the, the neat thing with that imagery is, is like, we know Jerusalem, you know. Uh, the, God's new creation is, is new, but it's not. It, it's that transfiguration. You know, I, I, I'd like to believe that, that the new Jerusalem here will be a, a new Durham, laid over top the new Durham that will sparkle and be different. And we might, like Jesus' resurrected body, not even recognize it, but it will also be so familiar and it will make sense. Right then. In New Jerusalem, and our resurrected bodies will be familiar and connected, but different and made new, incorruptible and changed, transparent to each other and to God. And, you know, in this vision of New Jerusalem, there's no longer any sun or moon. Think how weird that is. <laughs> That's like the only two things. You know, you realize that with a kid, those are like some of the first things Noah got down is like, don't look at the sun, we look at the moon. And we can see it, and it follows us in the car. (laughs) But in the new tradition, there will no longer be any sun or moon, because Christ will be our light. This is what it means to be transfigured. Again, God is doing something completely unexpected and new, exactly as he said he would. What if we could grasp this in each and every one of our callings? What would that mean? Maybe this is something we talk about at Potluck today, we start to just like brainstorm this because I guarantee you you're not just going to figure it out. And sometimes the people that you talk to are going to help you figure it out. And we might be motivated by and towards God's vision of wholeness and restoration for ourselves and others, our neighborhoods, this earth. What if we could get in the habit of joining with each other and saying, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, that, that's kind of the I, I, think, I think what Paul's saying is not some sort of lame, like Xerox copy of a copy, but it, it's like, let's walk together right behind Christ, spurring each other on, as Hebrews says, towards love and good deeds. What if we were urgent? What if we seemed open, more open to being interrupted? What if we could be changed by the good news that the kingdom of God? has come near in Christ. That's my challenge. That's my hope um, for myself, for each and every one of you, for Oak Church and for this neighborhood. If you guys will pray with me, then we'll um, head into a time of conversation and confession with God. Pray with me. Now, Father, we thank you for issuing a call. And it's it's the simplest call. So so simple. Come and follow me. Drop what you're doing. Drop who you are and join with me. Now, Father, give us courage to heed that call. If there's anyone in here that has never heard that call and, and wants to start that following, um, Father give them um, courage. We thank you for your spirit. Help them talk to someone who can help them in that following. Father, we thank you for um, the calls you've placed on this church collectively and individually. Calls to follow you. Calls to um, imagine what your healing looks like in in real lives and real places, real people, families and um, relationships. Father, continue to to show us as we follow you. Show us where we're going by your Spirit. We thank you for your word that illumines our our paths. Father, help us be prepared to be interrupted. Help us be interruptible and, and give us keen eyes and ears to know what you're doing when that happens. Give us open hearts. Um, to to reach out to to people. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you for choosing us uh, to be your hands and feet in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.